0: Guys, have a good Christmas. Good Christmases. Anybody really tired from Christmas? Like, really worn out? Anybody? Stacy, it's okay. You worn out? All right. You're the only honest one of the bunch. I am too. I am exhausted. But that's okay. And so today, my hope is that you will really be encouraged and um, strengthened in heart. That's what I've been praying for from this message. We have four more days. Four more days until we make it through another year without dying. without die- That is quite an accomplishment. I have survived 49 of these calendar years, and it's surprising that I'm still here. This world is crazy. It's nuts. As my parents used to say, it's a mad, 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 mad world. You remember that old, anybody ever watched that old movie? Did you like it, Carol? Did you like it? You loved that movie. My dad loved that movie. I thought it was one of the weirdest movies that ever was produced but I do too I kind of like I showed it to my kids they thought I dad I don't want to watch that again okay no problem but I'm gonna but I argue that it's a mad 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 world and all I have to say is four things and you will agree with me that we are living in a crazy time Bruce Jenner Hillary and, and Donald Isis And all of these cities like Baltimore and Ferguson and race riots galore. We live in a crazy time. But you know something? It has always been. It's always been a mad, 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 mad world. Adam, the very first man who ever lived, his son murdered his other son. That's terrible. How would you like to live during Moses' time? That would be a mad world when you walk outside and all of a sudden frogs are everywhere. Or it's complete blackness. Or, you know, the weather report is hail with fire. That's kind of odd. Today I took a bath and it was bloody. It was bad. I mean, that's kind of mad, maddening. It's a world, mad world when Moses lived. David had it bad. His father in law wanted to kill him for 14 years, chased him in a desert. And then he's got to go fight this guy that's nine feet tall. And here, David, I'll give you some stones to kill him. That's kind of nuts. But today I want to talk about a man that I think lived in a very disturbing world for him personally. And he did more than just survive. He gave us an example of what it means to truly be a hero in a world that's gone mad. Today we're going to talk about, really we're going to in a way continue with the Christmas story but we're going to talk about a guy I've never preached about, I've rarely heard a sermon about, but Joseph, the father of Jesus. Actually, we named our second, our oldest son after Joseph. Not the Old Testament Joseph, but the New Testament Joseph. Jesus' dad, because he is an amazing, amazing guy. To me, he's an unsung hero, a guy we never talk about. But if we follow some of the things that, the way he chose to live his life, I think we can get a good blueprint of how to face this mad world in the coming year. Because he was truly an unsung hero. So I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Matthew. We're going to take a few snippets out of Joseph's story, and we're going to use that as a platform to talk about the coming year. Really, today's message is going to be more of a devotional message. I want you to just ponder and think about your life as compared to what Joseph was asked to live in. I mean, think about your new year coming up, 2016. When people sometimes hear of a new year, they get this just rock in their stomach. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't want to have to face another year. When you think about the election. Is our, is our country really going to survive this election if that's who we have to vote for? You know, the year coming up is, for a lot of people, a new year is not a good thing. It just isn't. And for some of you, I'm not sure you're looking forward to it. So with that in mind, let's read Joseph's story and then we'll pray and we'll look at what his example is for us. Starting in Matthew chapter 1. I want you to go to verse 19. Verse 18 talks about when Mary was betrothed to Joseph, she was found to be with child. Betrothed, Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other. For us, look at it like a high-octane engagement. It was considered marriage, but it wasn't a consummated marriage, and they could still end it without recrimination on either part. So it's a high-octane engagement. Verse 19. but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now go to chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is right after the wise men gave the gifts, and the wise men left to go back to their country in the east. Verse 13. Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, And flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Out of Egypt I called my son. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll continue on. Father, I just pray, God, this will lift up somebody's heart today. I pray that what I speak is truth, and I pray that, God, it, it, does, um, it does accurate service to the name of Joseph. Thank you for all you do, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing I want to just point out is that Joseph, I'm calling him a hero, but he was not a hero because, as Dwight Schrute would say, he was not part human and part supernatural. He was all human. No supernatural. He was not born out of a childhood trauma or out of disaster, and he didn't need to be avenged. He's a regular man. Nor did he put on a cape and fight crime. Joseph is a hero because as a normal man, he faced enormous odds and survived. God was in Joseph's life in tremendous ways even though Joseph was a first century blue-collar tradesman. What that meant is he had very little power and he had limited possibilities to really make a name for himself. He was stuck in a very, very constraining world. He was poor, so he didn't have a lot of resources. He was not really that well-known. He was just a guy living in Nazareth, chopping wood and Probably pouring mortar over bricks with stones. He was also a Jew, which meant he lived under the tight constraints of Orthodox Judaism, a religion which mandated purity. And even worse than that, they were minorities in a Roman colony. They were dictated by Roman rule, which was violent, it was harsh, and it was uncaring for a Jew. And I believe in the middle of this mad world, this poor man gives us a tremendous example that we can apply to 2016. God asked three things of Joseph, and he's going to ask three things of you next year. And I think these three things, how we respond to them will dictate if we are, I'm not going to say heroic, but if we are more than survivors, we bring glory to God. And the first thing God asked Joseph was to believe the impossible believe the impossible and what he asked Joseph to believe was no minor thing God wanted Joseph to believe something that would drastically change and alter his life both as a Jew and as a single man and what God asked Joseph to believe had to bring him untold mental anguish like you couldn't even understand what did he ask him to believe well Matthew chapter 1 what is conceived in the person you're engaged to, your wife, well, Joseph, it's from the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes just for a second. If God asked me to believe this about my fiance, I would have major problems, both on the scientific level and a theological level. Scientifically, I know it takes a man and a woman to bear a child. I know that, scientifically. So did Joseph. We know who the woman is. Who's the man? Come on, Mary, who's the man? Seriously. According to a Jew, the answer would be very troubling. Either it was adultery, having a man outside of the legal bounds in Judaism, or she was raped which is a tragedy in itself as well. This is the only way to see this from a serious-minded person. That is why in verse 19, it says Joseph, being a just man, didn't want to put her to shame, and he wanted to divorce her quietly because scientifically he knows Mary had to be with another man. The one you love, I know was with another man, or was ruined by another man. That had to be horrible. But there was this weird angel that was involved as well and he said it was the holy spirit that overshadowed mary now this brings a whole nother problem for a jewish man who is the holy spirit who in the world is the holy spirit we look back retro retrospectively we understand he's the third person of the trinity but who is this to a jewish man is it just the spirit of jehovah what what do you mean actually In the Old Testament, three times is the Holy Spirit specifically mentioned. So it really wasn't on the mind of a Jew. Who is the Holy Spirit? We know that he he was related to the nature of God himself because the angel said this child would be God's child. But how is Joseph supposed to believe that? Not only is this madness, but who is Joseph to confide in? Who's going to believe him? The rabbi wouldn't. Priest, no, he wouldn't. Stoning would be the only option. He had to be completely alone in his wrestling. I believe this year, coming up, we are going to be asked almost daily to believe the impossible, to really believe the impossible. Even tomorrow, we have to wake up believing the impossible. According to Hebrews 11, it's impossible to believe God to please God without believing two things, that he actually exists and that he's going to reward you if you believe him. That's crazy. Scientifically, that's crazy, and theologically, that's crazy. Scientifically, where is he? Honestly, do you know the world laughs at you for believing in an invisible God? They really do. Watch some of the talk shows at night. They mock him incessantly. They think he's a joke. But what Hebrews, go to Hebrews 11, 6 for a second. I think this may be one of the most potent pieces of scripture if you really let it sink in. Just meditate on it for it. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near God, to God, must believe that he exists. So I am to believe that God, who created the heavens with the word of his mouth, and when I say the heavens, I'm talking about the whole starry host. It says that he's numbered all the starry hosts. He knows them each by name. That in and of itself is a crazy thought. Ask an astronomer. But that God who made the heavens and knows them each by name, he lives in me. The one who moved on the face of the earth, who brought life from nothing, is in me right now. Doesn't that strike you as insane? It does to the world. And the only way you're going to survive in this world is if you believe that. It's just as insane as believing that your wife is pregnant because the Holy Spirit came upon her. It's also insane theologically because to me, what is he like? What is this God like? So you mean to tell me this God, this holy God who cannot look upon evil lives in me? And even even more than that, what Phil was sharing, this same God loves me. One hundred percent if I have faith in his son, he sees me as he sees his son, that's crazy. Actually, before prayer partners, Paul Slaughter came in, he said he's listened to a sermon, he said one of the biggest problems with Americans is they don't fear this God anymore. This God who can look at mountains and it will melt lives in me. I, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis in the book Miracles. He talks about there's some people that just come to church, but they're not, they really aren't looking for God. They're just going through motions. But then every once in a while, there comes a person that is actually looking for God. And he writes it like this. There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, they suddenly draw back away from God because they wonder, supposing we really did find him. Ooh, we never really meant it to come to that. We're still, supposing he finds us, and the the idea is that when you really understand God, what if he really does live in me? Martin Luther, when he wondered that, he was a Roman Catholic. And Roman Catholics really believe that they ingest the person of Christ after the Eucharist. And he said, I am so wicked, I can't take that Eucharist. What if I take that Eucharist and I have any sin on me, the holiness of that person in that wafers, I'm going to die. And he was so troubled by that. But you know what? He's right in a sense. We believe strange things. We don't believe in the Eucharist becoming Christ. He's not right about that. But he does, he's right about this person of God. He's incredible. If God is for us, who? Tell me. Who can stand against us? Who? So, Joseph wasn't only asked to believe the impossible, but he was also asked to do the irrational. Listen to what God asked him to do. Here's, here's take Mary home as your wife. What? You want me to take that woman home as my wife? Man, when she finally gives birth to the baby, people are going to start figuring it out. So you've been married seven months to this woman? And she has a baby? So that means, do you know what people are going to say? What if Joseph went to a rabbi to get more advice? What would a rabbi really tell him? I think of it like if he lived in the modern day and he went to a pastor or a psychologist. What would a psychologist really tell him? Here's what they'd say. They'd say, Joseph, Mary's a train wreck. Don't marry her. You got your whole life before yourself. Don't do it. Joseph, you didn't do anything wrong. Why don't you just distance yourself and continue to live blamelessly under the law? Let her go her own way. She did it to herself. Why should Joseph be responsible for her decisions? That's how a rational person would think. And what's even worse than that, later on, God asks Joseph to do this. Go ahead, take the mother and the child and escape to Egypt. So you have this little baby infant and your wife. I want you to go to a land you've never lived before where it's a whole different country. What if all of a sudden God told you to leave Kent City next year and go move to Syria? We see it the other way. How would you like to go live in Syria? Egypt probably was like that for Joseph. You're kidding, right? That's crazy. This next year, I think God does want you to do some irrational things. I'll just make some predictions for 2016, and then I'll show you how God wants you to live irrationally. I think some of you are going to have a great year. I think some of you are going to be very successful, maybe get a new job, higher income. Some of you are going to find maybe a new boyfriend or girlfriend. But some of you, guaranteed in here, are going to go through some pain. I know it because I'm a pastor. I've seen it. Some of you are going to be very lonely, depressed. Some of you might lose your job. So what does God ask us to do in either situations? Go to Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 6. He's going to ask you to live irrationally. Live irrationally. What do I mean? Listen to Philippians 4, 4 through 6, and apply it to any of the situations I've mentioned, especially if you lose your job or you can't find one or your health issue isn't getting better. Philippians 4, 4 through 6, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice means joyful gratitude, often accompanied with singing. Joyful gratitude in the Lord always. And then it says, verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, The Lord is at hand, and do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So, this year, 2016, as you look forward to it, and some of you have lumps in your throats or scared to death, God says, rejoice about it. And don't be anxious about anything. Quit being so anxious and pray. I would actually suggest this year you get a journal and write in it. Things to rejoice in today. Things to not be anxious about. What is causing you frustration, irritation? What is overwhelming you? Write it down. And then as you write it down, then pray about it. And if you do these things, God gives you a conditional promise of grace. Verse 7, if you rejoice always, if you are anxious about nothing and you give prayer, Verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard you. It'll guard you, it'll take over. This year, I even want to suggest one of the themes of this year that we're going to emphasize is prayer. Actually, we're going to implement some new programs and possibilities when it comes to prayer. We're going to talk more about that later, but one is a possible prayer room, and another one is a, a prayer service on a quarterly basis where we are going to start becoming a church doesn't need to do things, but we need to be still and know that he's God. I remember a couple years ago, my father-in-law, who also works in a ministry, said, Chris, what do you got planned for next year? I said, Dad, honestly, I just want to meet with God. That's what I want us to do this year, really meet with the living God. So not only was Joseph asked to believe the impossible, not only was he asked to do the irrational, but this last one, he was asked, Joseph was asked, in my mind, to persevere, that means keep going, under the insufferable. That, I use the word I because it's, also, it's a good pastoral technique to have alliteration, I had three I's. But also insufferable means it is so overwhelming, I can't hold up under it. I can't do it. It means something that is horrible, something that is unbearable. Think about Joseph again. He was poor. His wife had a baby. They're not in their hometown. They're in Bethlehem, which is far away from Nazareth. And then they were asked to go to Egypt, another land. And the reason they were asked to go to Egypt is because of this. Could you imagine that? Do you know who Herod was? Herod was? Herod was the insane ruler of Judea at the time. He actually killed his wife and two of his own sons killed. Herod had a bodyguard contingent of 2,000 men, 2,000 soldiers. And Herod was so jealous of his throne that he, want, he heard about this Messiah. He wanted all the babies under the age of two to be slaughtered because he's after Joseph's baby. Who is Joseph? A carpenter. How in the world is he going to defend his baby from Herod and his legions? Could you imagine if the government went after your kid? I think it might be a little harder these days because they can, they got, uh, you know, the NSA is watching you every minute. They know where you're at. But I think it was just as bad for him. He had no mode of transportation to run chariots and horses. I, honestly, as a father, if this was my wife and my child, I would be, I don't know if I could survive. I'd be terrified. It would be insufferable. Have you ever had those situations where you are, you are done? I'm not going to make it. I can't handle it. I remember one time my dad was done. He couldn't find a job for about seven years. It was bad. Where you're just like, it's too much. I'm not going to survive. It's funny, often in the middle of this situation, my my home fellowship group had kind of an argument about this two weeks ago. When you're in the middle of these kind of situations, every once in a while you'll find that Christian that will say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Hang in there. I want to take you to something. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. I want to show you where that comes from. 1 Corinthians 10. And it's verse 13. And in that passage, if you look, chapter 10 begins with a warning about idolatry and so Paul is the writer and he's talking about the, the Israelites were idolaters. How they, how basically they were grumblers and they were committing terrible sexual immorality and so God punished them. And then in verse 12 he says, So you've got to be very careful that you too don't st- sin like that. And so verse 13, in context, writes, No temptation, that means no opportunity to sin, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. A lot of people use this and say, God will not give you more than you can handle. In regards to what? Sexual temptation. In other words, you can't blame God for your sin. But this is not talking about overwhelming pressure of life. Did you know almost every day, sometimes, God gives us more than we can handle? Almost every day. So He can be our Savior. Let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you can handle it, why do you need to pray? If you can handle things, why do you pray? because you can't. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 9. Again, Paul wrote this, and um, actually let's let's, uh, start in verse 7. Verse 7, he's talking about, he had this incredible vision of heaven. Paul was taken up to the third heaven. He was able to see what it was like. In verse 7 says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning what God showed me, he didn't want me to become proud, so he gave me a thorn in the flesh, and it was a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And then he says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, meaning he couldn't stand it. He couldn't take it. God, take this away from me. But, verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, My power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, when you are weak, God is powerful, he's strong. His grace, we have a song called, is more than enough. That's what sufficient means. He'll take care of you. The truth is, life is more than you can handle. So what did Joseph do in these three requests? Joseph was asked to believe the impossible, to do the irrational, persevere under the insufferable. What did he do? Here's what scripture says. And he, first of all, according to Matthew 1, he did as the angel commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He did that. Second thing it says in Matthew 2, he he rose, meaning he took his wife and his baby and went to Egypt. He did that too. And then the third thing it says is that he remained there until he got more word from God. This is what he's going to ask you to do in 2016. He's going to ask you to do what he says. And then he's going to ask you to actually live it out, to rise up and to do it. And then he's going to ask you to then wait for more instructions. I want to show you something I think is amazing. Each action that he did, each action that Joseph did, was a sign of faith. Obedience is a sign of active faith. But it's even more than that. It's a sign of love. Look at um, John 14, 23. This is a beautiful passage. And to me, this passage, I call this verse Joseph's verse because it was manifest or was made alive physically in his life where this is a spiritual promise for you and me I think it's incredible John 1423 Jesus answered him if anyone loves me if you love him if you love Jesus if you love God he will keep my word. Some says he will obey my commandments. He will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and and we will make our home with him. I often, why did God choose Joseph? Because he knew he would keep his word. What was the result of keeping his word? Jesus literally made his home with Joseph. Literally. I don't think God chose Joseph necessarily because he was a, you know, I I don't want to degrade him. I don't think because he's a brilliant mind. I don't think necessarily because Joseph was rich. I think it was because he had a quality that pleases God the most. He does what God says. And because he did what God said, he said, you know what? I'm going to let my son live in your house. And I think he says the same thing to us who obey him. Even if we don't understand it, it seems impossible, irrational, and I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to take it a step at a time. And when you do, he comes and he lives in your home. He lives in your home and he takes care of It's funny, as I look forward to 2016, I've got to tell you, it's kind of a weird year for me personally. 2016, believe it or not, I turned 50 years old. I know I still look like I'm 21, I know that. I look in the mirror, I see a 12-year-old little brother of four older sisters that still hit him upside the head when he doesn't do the dishes. That's what I see, I'm turning 50, what? That's crazy. My dad's been gone for 10 years, 2016. That's tough. I thought it'd get easier. It gets tough. My oldest daughter turns 20 years old. Ginger, I can't believe it. No longer a teen. That's ridiculous. And believe it or not, 2016 will be my 20th year at this here Kent City Baptist Church. I can remember, like yesterday, my wife, who was young and pregnant, we are driving down this weird road called M37 watching apple trees and hillbillies with guns walking around. And I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I've been called here? <laughs> I'm not going to survive. My wife's not going to survive. My baby's not. All, they'll, all she'll eat is apples. What is this? But I'm telling you, what's bizarre about it is God has not just taken care of me. He's given me an amazing life here with people I love. I've had three other kids besides her here, four kids, provided for, and I never would have dreamed it. A Half of my life would be in Kent City. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. But all I'm trying to tell you, really all I'm trying to tell you is that if you obey what he says, even though you're scared to death, he'll take care of you. Even if it doesn't make sense. And you do what he says, he will provide. And to me, you will become a hero of faith. Joseph was. And because Joseph obeyed, you and I were able to have a man that died on a cross for. Save us of our sins. So this next year, are you a hero? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for I thank you for the life of Joseph. I thank you for who he is. He's alive right now in heaven. I can't wait to see him. I bet you he doesn't want any of the notoriety none any of the press. He doesn't want any of the hype. He's just a simple man of obedience. Help us to be simple people of obedience. We love you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.